Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cashback on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Cashback isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cashback. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Well, EJ, they did it. They fired Mike Vrabel. Even though... Pretty much every single NFL fan on earth could tell you that was probably a bad move. The Titans said, nah, we'll take our chances on the open market. We'll get rid of a a guy who took us to the playoffs uh, several years in a row, got a coach of the year nod, went to an AFC championship. Yeah, let's kick him to the curb. That's that's probably a good idea. Uh, I hate the move. You hate the move. Taylor Lewan hates the move. Every Titans player that's commented on it hates the move. Amy Adams Strunk uh, does not. She deemed it to be the appropriate time to move on uh, from Mike Vrabel. We'll see how that goes for him uh, over the next five to ten years or so. Uh, but in the meantime, we're going to be talking about not just the Titans opening and who we think could possibly follow uh, an act as good as Vrabel. Uh, down there in Nashville, as well as all the other confirmed coaching openings, a couple coaching openings that are not necessarily confirmed open yet, but we have some ideas for potential fits if they do become open shortly here. A lot of uh, coaching carousel talk today, as well as playoff picks for the wildcard round. But before we get to all that, EJ, how you doing? Better than a lot of coaches. Uh, in this period, this day, this week, it is one of the most tumultuous times in the NFL for coaches, their families, for organizations. Massive amounts of changes going on. We hear a lot about the head coaches or even the coordinators that that move on. And we don't hear about all the position coaches. We don't hear about all the strength coaches. We don't hear about all the people with sort of non-guaranteed livings that are affected in this week. So um a lot of tumult, a lot of upset, a lot of storylines. We'll talk about uh, most of those. I'm definitely not going to touch on all of them because, again, we're recording this on a Tuesday. Things are going to continue to change throughout the week, but we'll give you most of the ones we sort of have our eye on or we believe will shift. And then, like you said, we'll get into the playoffs. We'll pick a team for a reason, give you a couple of our best hits if you want to jump into playoff best ball, get a little intel there, uh, take your team to the win. We'll see about all that. Um can't say after our showing in the regular season that we're infallible, but we'll give it our best shot. You know, I finally started hitting on those entries towards the end of the year after I had uh, nice timing, <laughs> overwhelming <laughs> data to use to my advantage. Uh, the first 14 weeks were not my friend, but you know, 
15 through 18 we did we did pretty okay. better late than never uh let's start with that open titans job again we are recording this roughly two to three hours after it was announced that that frable got fired um and we had heard rumblings for months honestly that this that this might be happening but then will levis started playing well and you know, you, you, you kind of look at the roster and you're like, okay, they have some issues, but like there are some some really nice pieces and you got a young quarterback that looks promising. Like maybe they don't want to rock the boat and kind of, you know, hamper his potential development. Obviously, Vrabel is a great coach and everybody recognizes he's a great coach. Like maybe Will Levis kind of, I don't want to say coming out of nowhere, but, but coming on quicker than people expected uh, would would grant Vrabel another year to kind of get this thing going. Hopefully, you know, invest a lot in the offensive line next year. Um, <laughs> and that didn't happen. And and I think that was what really surprised me is, is if this happened in October, I wouldn't have been shocked at all. The fact that it happened now, I was, I was surprised by that, especially coming off a win against Jacksonville, a statement win against Jacksonville, who had everything to play for. And that game was not as close as the score indicated. Like, the Titans played their ass off for Mike Vrabel. That locker room wanted to win for Mike Vrabel. Uh, and and they did. Um, I, I know the Titans have said that they didn't trade Vrabel because trades can take a while to come together. Yeah, and they, they thought it was going to gonna take too long. I was <laughs> like, well, okay. I, I, I go back and that forth one on that before, explanation, but, all right? Right? Because... Sure. Theoretically, they couldn't make the trade until after the divisional round, I think. Like the 21st, I think, is, is when they could have done a trade. But that's also when hires can be made anyway. So like they said, oh, we want to we want to get interviews going and everything like that. And it's like, well, you you have time. Like they at least had maybe another five or six days to to see if New England wanted to throw him a third rounder or something like that. Like, I'm not saying it would be a first rounder like in the Gruden trade, but I, I don't know. I don't want to say it's a panic move, but it kind of felt a little panicky, you know? And yeah, it's I just, don't think yeah. it's panic. I think it's, I think there are a couple of things to talk about. And I'll, I'll talk about sort of Vrabel and the Titans first, and then we'll talk about New England because, of course, those two moves are connected no matter how you talk about them. So the first thing about Vrabel is I think when they the Titans moved on from Robinson as the GM last year, he thought he won. He thought it was yeah. his team. He thought he was going to be the voice in the building. And then they went out and hired Rand Carthen as the GM, who I like and thought that's a that's a nice addition. That's a cool new power couple. Vrabel and Carthen, I can see them seeing eye to eye on how to build a team and how to assess players. Certainly the mindset seemed very similar. And I thought, great, like weird that they moved on from a GM in the middle of the season. We talked about that last year when it happened as very, very odd timing. Almost never happens in the middle of a season. But I think Vrabel felt secure. Okay, it was a struggle between Robinson and I. I won and now I'm the preeminent voice for the Titans in the building. And then he found out he wasn't. That's my theory, at least. I don't have anything to back that up, except for the fact he just got fired. <laughs> so seems like he probably wasn't the preeminent voice, probably wanted to be, and they probably said, no, we're going to make that voice Rand's voice. And I can see Vrabel not taking very kindly to that, especially with all he's achieved with that team 
um, and basically his his bona fides, his you know resume, which is impressive as an NFL coach. And I think he felt surprised. I think he probably felt slighted. And it's real easy in that situation for little things to become big things and for small irritants to become big fights. And I still didn't think it was going to happen. But now that it has happened, it seems pretty clear to me that that's probably what went on in the building. Now, here's the bridge piece between Vrabel and New England because those two pieces being linked. Everybody says Vrabel is a Belichick coach. Vrabel's no. not a Belichick coach. Vrabel never was a Belichick player. He yeah. never coached for Belichick. He started very like uh, <laughs> visibly. He he started his coaching journey outside that tree, and was not brought up with those coaches or that philosophy. Obviously, he's exposed to them as a player, sure, but he almost purposely did not start his coaching journey in new england so everybody's saying oh it's very well he's a belichick coach he's not a belichick coach and he doesn't coach that way quite frankly he has some very different ideas now is he a new england guy of course he played there had great success he's well loved in the community like he is a new england guy but he is not a belichick coach so that's the sort of bridge piece and then you know what is he really going to bring to New England if he ends up there? Well, stabilizing influence. He's a hell of a football coach. That's the reason we're surprised this happened. Um, we have seen him work magic in person, where there were games he should not have won that they won because of his resilience, because of what he instills in his players, because of his philosophy. Like it ain't over. Keep grinding. Be physical. Play sound football. Like it's not super exciting. And without a quarterback, the Titans were very, I will say, non-exciting. They still won games. <laughs> they won games in a very sort of fundamental sound, call it slightly old fashioned way, but it was effective. It was really, really effective. And I think they got the most, for the most part, out of their roster. And that's all those are all really important features, which is I think a sum total of the reason. We're surprised that Tennessee rolled the dice and moved on because you can certainly do a lot worse. I would say easily do a lot worse than Vrabel. No matter whether it's New England or somewhere else, he will not be unemployed for long. And I think he'll be a real asset to whichever organization he moves on to. In terms of who's going to replace Vrabel, which is a tall, tall order. Yeah. I, you know, kind of going over candidates here. I look for two things. One, somebody young that isn't a, a big, bold personality, because apparently that's not what the Titans want. Like they, <laughs> they apparently want Rancarthon to lead this thing and then have the coach kind of, I don't want to say a right-hand man, but it does seem like they, they want there to be kind of a hierarchy, right? Um, or else they would have let Vrabel stay. Uh, so I think they want somebody young who, so not Jim Harbaugh, because <laughs> boy, Jim Harbaugh is not built for this situation. No. Uh, and I, I think they want somebody on the offensive side that can come in and develop Will Levis. And so with those two criteria in mind, I think the best candidate, if I was the Titans, I don't want this to happen because it's directly affects me. Um, but I would hire Bobby Slowick. Because not only does it help Will Levis, because Bobby Sloak is, is a great offensive coach, uh, you know, a young, uh, energetic, innovative mind, you know, which is kind of the trend in the NFL as you go after the young guys on the offensive side of the ball, especially if they 
breathed anywhere uh, near Kyle Shanahan in the last 10 years. Um, but also it directly hurts Houston by taking him away from C.J. Stroud. I think that's probably the best direction they could go for the franchise. Again, if it was me, I would have kept Rabel. But with with those die already cast, you got to do something here. And I think Slowick would be a good fit. I like the Slowick pick. Obviously, Levis is their immediate future, and developing him should be the main priority because without a quarterback, we all know that you're not going to win a lot in the NFL. I'm wondering, because again, we're surprised by this, so we thought they were good with where they were, and we thought we, quote-unquote, knew what they wanted and had it in Vrabel. So there's a little bit of that lingering, I'll admit to me, like, do you want a leader of men? Do you want the, I don't want to say more CEO type. I don't love that, but you want somebody to coach the whole team and make sure that, you know, everybody is on the same page and pulling together or is just the offensive develop most important. I mean, ideally you want both, but if you have to have one or the other, we both thought that Vrabel's job was safe because he was really good at that second part. He could pull everybody together. He could develop talent and he could make sure that everybody played one way like it ne- the titans never felt like a team where they were pulling themselves in different directions whether it was offense or defense now they didn't support each other in equal measure the offense certainly you know didn't necessarily pull its weight after their playoff run with Tannehill. kind of fell apart we'll see but i kind of feel like oh do they still want that do they still want a head guy and if that's the case i could see a guy like mike mcdonald who is not an offensive guy um, but does seem to be able to get his group of guys to play one way, one style, support each other, play really hard, be physical. I think that's going to be a hallmark. I, I think that was one of the reasons I liked Rand Carthen as a GM is he's going to bring in tough physical dudes and Vrabel requires big, tough physical dudes um, for his system. And like Mike McDonald will know what to do with those guys. So there's this lingering piece of, but then there's the voice in the back of my head that says, they just fired that guy. They, they want yeah. something different. <laughs> so um, I could see Slowick or Ben Johnson or Dave Canales or lots of the names we're going to talk about. Anybody to come in and support Will Levis and really push him as far as he can go as a quarterback, which can then, if you surround him with some pieces, which the Titans need to do, we're going to talk about that all draft season long, that you can rebuild that offense to be more potent. There's going to be a lot of moves. Uh, I can see Derrick Henry moving on. Tajay Spears ascending to the RB1. Like it's going to be a uh, Titans are going to have a different look here. So um, I can certainly see an offensive guy and there's going to be that sort of triumvirate of offensive guys that are going to get all the interviews. And like you said, get all the spotlight in this process uh, and, you know, would probably be a good fit for the Titans. And it's just the one that they sit down with because this is the important part that fans don't get is when they sit down, there's got to be a mesh in that interview room. Like, how mm-hmm. are you going to do this? We know you have a great resume on the offensive side, but how are you going to be a leader? How are you going to affect this? How are you going to mesh with Ran, who we've given a, you know, pretty serious, um, you know, backing as the top guy in the spot? Um, there has to be a mesh there. And I think that's where the surprises, quote unquote, surprises come out in the coaching hire and all these hires is you go, oh, but this guy seemed way more qualified for what they wanted. Look, they sat in the room and you hear it year after year. This guy sat down. He blew us away with his preparation, his approach, his fit. We just we felt like this was the guy to lead our team. Uh, speaking of big time hires that are getting all the attention, by the way, next up is the Chargers, uh, who were either the first or the second team to actually no, I think I think Raiders fired McDaniel's before Chargers Correct. fired Staley. Um, 
But, you know, the job's been, quote unquote, open for a while. And I think that was on purpose so that the Chargers could get way out in front in their search, right? And the one thing, and I I say this not having any inside information, even though I do work with the Chargers, like I, I, I have not been told any of this explicitly. But there is kind of a groundswell across, it's called the NFL community, where everybody is. <laughs> is that what we're saying, calling it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, for lack of a better word, right? Yeah. But I mean, you, you, you and I are hearing it not from the same people, and, and mm-hmm. none of these people are connected to the Chargers, but like if they're hearing about it, like it's a thing, everybody's just chalking. Jim Harbaugh to the Chargers at this point. Like, everybody expects that to happen. I don't want to say it's the worst-kept secret in football, but it's kind of the worst-kept secret in football. They want him. He wants them. More specifically, he wants Justin Herbert because Justin Herbert uh, is pretty good job security if you if you have a, a quarterback that good. You know, the, the Spanos family, you know, they had a reputation for not being big spenders when they were uh, in San Diego. That is not the case since they've moved to L.A. They actually spend quite a bit. Uh, they spent a bunch of money on the defense. They they gave Brandon Staley and Tom Telesco basically unlimited resources to try to build a functional defense. It just didn't happen. But, like, money wasn't the issue with this team. They spent a lot of money, and the Spanos family is still willing to spend a lot of money, which I, I would say for Chargers fans is, a, is, is nice because – Again, that reputation was earned in San Diego of not being big spenders. So whatever dollar signs Jim Harbaugh wants, he's going to get. And he hired Don Yee last week, I think, specifically to get those dollar signs because that's what Don Yee does is he gets NFL coaches big-time deals. Um, And, of course, they just won the national championship last night. So Jim's kind of accomplished everything that he needs to accomplish in college football. You know, he beat Ohio State three times in a row. He won a natty, arguably the greatest Michigan team of all time. They went 15-0, and first undisputed championship since the 40s, I think it was. Like, he he did the damn thing, okay? Like, he doesn't need to stay at Michigan. He's going to go back to the NFL. He's going to try to win a Super Bowl, be one of the few coaches ever to, to be a champion everywhere. Um, He would be the first one since, I think, Jimmy Johnson to accomplish that off the top of my head. So I think the Chargers make a lot of sense for him. We know he loves California. A lot of his coaching jobs have been in the Western time zone. Um, And when you already have Justin Herbert there, you have a top five pick, you have owners that are willing to spend. It just makes sense. And that's why everybody within, again, the NFL community, I guess you can say, is like not even looking at any other candidate. They're all just like, oh yeah, Jim's a charger. Anyway, where where's Mike McDonald gonna go? Like that's kind of where the conversation is right now. And I think uh I think I agree with it. There's a lot of smoke and uh I would say it's real because again, we're hearing it from different people with different details, but they're all pointing the same way. And I think what we need to do is separate the smoke from the desire because anybody that is a fan of a team that either has an open head coaching spot or thinks their head coaching spot is going to be open. There is a section of their fan base that is clamoring for Harbaugh. 
And that is desire. That is I want. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I want several million dollars in my bank account does not mean it's going to happen anytime soon. Uh, and I think we have to separate that desire from what we're hearing from lots of different sources that does line up, right? We know he loves being in California. We know that he would like an established offensive piece. We know that he is largely heralded and has a resume um, everywhere has been as a culture changer, called a tone setter, um, tone changer. And if ever there was a team that needed a culture reset, a tone change, it's the Chargers. They've tried a lot of things. It hasn't worked. We thought it was going to work this year. <laughs> we could say that about a lot of previous years with the Chargers. It hasn't. They need a new path. Harbaugh is good at that. He just reached the top of the mountain in his previous spot. And I say previous with him even today coming out and saying, no, no, I'm going to be at Michigan next year, which for me is the death knell, right? Whenever there's that (laughs) six weeks ago, the Titans said, oh no, Vrabel's in our plans long-term. He's gone. Like Harbaugh's going to say what he's going to say. He's going to do what he's going to do. He's going to hire high powered agent who's very well respected, who is going to get him paid as a top NFL coach. And he is going to presumably move to California, change the tone for the Chargers, And we'll see how it goes. But there's a lot of fans out there that don't want to believe that because they have a desire that he's going to be their head coach, not the Chargers head coach. You're Kinda just taking shots at Chicago right now, aren't you? <laughs> no, I, I, I've heard it from Raiders Dude, fans. Bear, Bears oh, no, Twitter he's a Raider. Like, he's this. You know, like any team with an opening right now, I've, I've heard New England, which I would, that would be one of the later stops uh, for Harbaugh in a coaching tour if he was taking one. The bottom line is he's not taking one. It's either going to work out with the Chargers or it's not, and then he'll be available to somebody else. But that's the way that's going to happen. It's not open bidding. And I think teams, fans of teams want it to be. They want it to be, oh, they're all equal and our owner has a better offer than your own. No. This particular situation fits with Harbaugh in several ways that we know that he is after, that he wants, that he craves. And... As long as the money works out, yeah, he's probably going to be a charger. The the bigger question, honestly, is is who's going to be the GM? You know, with Tom Telesco yes. gone, and there's a lot of hot candidates that that you're hearing about mm-hmm. right now. Um, one that I believe they actually did request an interview with is uh, Alec Hallaby, who's the Eagles' assistant general manager. He's been in Philly for 16 years. So, you know, being one of Howie's top lieutenants for a decade and a half, it's a pretty good resume considering the roster that that the Eagles have built four times over at this point. It feels like that team gets completely remade every every three or four years, and, and Hallaby's been a part of all those rebuilds and all those different, you know, stylistic changes, all the different regimes. Like, he was there for all of it, right? Mm-hmm. And I... I specifically single him out as a good candidate because if there's one thing that that Howie and all of his his guys prioritize, it's trench warfare. And if there's one thing that Jim Harbaugh loves, it's trench warfare. So I kind of think that they would be on the same page of like every single year, no matter what the need is, it's going to be who's the best offensive lineman or defensive lineman on the board. Let's take him. And we'll figure out the rest on day two. 
And even though the Chargers, um, like Chargers fans specifically, are just over the moon for Malik Neighbors right now at the fifth overall pick. And believe me, sure. I would love that. Like you could you could talk me into Malik Neighbors at, at five instantly. I'm on board. I wouldn't hate that pick. I do feel like if Jim comes in um, and if Hallaby comes in, they're going to look at Joe Alt and be like, yeah, yeah, that's that's a 10-year charger. And I think that they would be in lockstep on that kind of decision, and then they would get receiver uh, on day two. But mm-hmm. I, I do think that, especially with somebody like Jim Harbaugh, you need to have a GM that thinks the way that Jim thinks, and that to me is Alec Hallaby. He's also got a strong analytics background, numbers-based background, and a lot of people would say that's kind of anti-Harbaugh. They see him as a very old-school coach. He came around to that approach, and it led him to the change at Michigan over the last three years. He he came to embrace data in a way that he hadn't. He came to understand that it played a part and was not something to be shunned. Um, but yeah, Harbaugh wants dudes. He had dudes when he was in San Francisco he filled the Michigan roster with dudes. They're, you know, they're probably, I think, second in the CFB behind like Penn State. You know, maybe Texas of like every year. Just Michigan's like athletic testers, yeah. strength, five stars. Just every year, Feldman's freak list has a couple of Wolverines on it, very highly placed. That are just like, oh my god, did you see what that guy did? Like, there's no reason to think that if he ends up with the Chargers, that approach is going to be any different. And Halby's very, you know, familiar with that from what how he's done in Philadelphia. Both their offensive and defensive lines are stacked with dudes. It, it's not going to be a foreign concept to him. And he's not going to like chafe at like, oh, we need receiver talent. He knows you can get receiver talent. He knows you need it, but there are multiple ways. Even the Eagles have got it in multiple ways. AJ Brown was not drafted as an Eagle, but he ended up there. So he's going to have that sort of well-rounded perspective about how to build a team. But yes, I'm with you. He's got sort of lockstep with, uh, I'll just say, Harbaugh-isms. And that will be a fast start for the Chargers. Uh, Let's move on to the Raiders. Keep it in the AFC West. Again, I'm not 100% sure that it's going to happen, but I have to assume you and I agree that like Antonio Pierce and Champ Kelly should be option number one, right? Like that, they 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 gotta keep them both. If they, I mean, if it's me, yes. Like AP did a tremendous job, and you know we thought the last interim coach of the Raiders did a really good job, and he did. AP did a better job with arguably a worse or very similar at 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 best, some you know situation. And the way that the Chargers team changed fundamentally the day he took it over. There's a lot of good vibe stories coming out of Las Vegas. And we're like, yeah, let's see what happens. And then we saw what happened over the last half of the season. And if you have those results, it kind of feels like Vrabel to me. You have a demonstrated thing. You have a demonstrated winner. I guess I shouldn't say this because they just fired Vrabel. But (laughs) we thought they should have kept him. We really think they should keep AP because... The players responded to him. The team played better. They got more out of talent that they had been getting less out of. Again, the guys didn't change. It was midseason. It's it's as apples to apples a comparison as you're ever going to get. And Pierce did such a better job with the talent that was in the building than the previous coach did that 
I think if you're not going to do that, you open yourself up to a lot of risk. Like there's always risk in a coaching change. I would say an exceptional amount of risk because you already have the bird in the hand. You know what this guy can do with this group of players. There's no better sort of interview in the world than that. And Champ Kelly, I'm really surprised they haven't sort of already minted him. And you and I talked about reasons pre-podcast that might be happening there are things that the Raiders have to satisfy in terms of the hiring process but Champ Kelly was the guy two or three years ago for any personnel opening like he was the guy getting interviewed and he came from Chicago he was the guy getting all those interviews and you know we don't have I would say uh, an equally stark sort of resume from him because not a lot of personnel moves get made in the back half of the season. We don't have a draft from him specifically. Um, we have lots and lots and lots of experience and he's got lots and lots of experience. So I think it's a better than average chance that he would do a good, a good job. And as long as he and AP are again in lockstep, because that's one of the most important relationships in the building, if not the most important between GM and head coach, I'm, I'm a little surprised they haven't locked this up. And I think the only reason maybe that they haven't is because they do need to satisfy all the due diligence requirements before they go, nope, we got our guys. They're right here. We had them for the second half of the season. We'd like to keep them. I mean, it's basically a job interview, like the last nine games or whatever, where we're AP. Fully agree. Like that, that's basically the job interview right there. And he nailed it. You couldn't really nail it any better than he nailed it considering the roster nope. and the situation and where the team was when yep. he took over you know short of them like hiring bill belichick himself and even then at at considering bill's age and you know maybe yeah and whether or not he's going to give up control for gm which is a huge thing we'll talk about wherever belichick gets mentioned um yeah, you got two guys that are working with a roster that you already have in the building. You, I would say, overachieved for the last half of the season. Like, yeah, That's give it. those guys a swing at a draft and free agency and make the team a little bit better, like the roster a little bit better, and then see what happens. And I think also another factor here that Mark Davis is going to be considering. Um, well, two thoughts here, actually, because I know there is a there was a couple people noting of like, oh, he's not going to go after any of like the, the quote unquote more expensive candidates because he's paying a bunch of money to Josh McDaniels and there's the Gruden thing. And, and like, no. Okay. Mark Davis has <laughs> more money now than you think. Like this is, a they team are that, printing money in Las dude, Vegas. Not Raiders make strip, more money like, than anybody else. Like, <laughs> right. Like they have the highest the, revenue in the NFL. <laughs> yeah. Like, once they lit up Allegiant, and fans travel to Allegiant. We've talked about this many times on the podcast. The, the place is always full because even if Raiders fans weren't selling it out, which they probably would be, the other team's fans are coming in and snapping up all the remaining seats because they get to go hang out in Las Vegas and watch their team play. Like the Raiders are printing money. The Super Bowl's in Vegas this year. Like, forget it. They, the team share of what the Raiders have to get, I mean, their facility in Henderson, their practice facility is one of the coolest buildings I've ever been in on earth. Like it's a really, really cool place. They, they got cash. They're good. Yeah. Money is not a factor. And so if they wanted to give Jim Harbaugh 15 million, they could, they wouldn't even blink. Sure. Now, again, I think Harbaugh's a charger, but I'm just saying hypothetically, like it, yeah. they would not quote unquote settle for AP because AP would be cheaper than Harbaugh. 
money's not the reason. They would hire AP because AP's the guy for the job. And I think another factor here is Mark Davis vividly remembers what happened when his entire locker room was saying, please hire Rich Bisaccia. We love Rich Bisaccia. This is our guy. We play for him. And then he hired the exact opposite in Josh McDaniels. The vibes immediately went out the window. Nobody wanted to be there. And the team tanked. And then they got AP in there. And all of a sudden, the locker room, who knew, started playing up to their potential again because they actually liked going into work every day. I think that's a lesson that Mark Davis probably learned from. And I don't think he's going to ignore his players again. You know, when you got Devontae and Max and, you know, every veteran on the team basically saying, like, there's your guy, Mark. Like, I think he's going to listen. I, I really do. So, uh, again, I'm like 95% sure he's going to be the guy, and I hope that both of them are. Uh, the Panthers are in a very, different very, spot. very different <laughs> spot. Moving on to our next team here in Carolina. Um they remind me so much of where the Texans were a few years mm-hmm. ago. And so my my first message to Panthers fans is it can get better. Okay, it absolutely can get better. Once upon a time, the Texans were staring down the barrel of recycling coaches on one-year deals over and over again because nobody wanted to go there. And there was questions about ownership and everything was toxic. You know, the Jack Easterby situation, it was it was toxic. Like, that's the best word to describe it. Nobody wanted to go there. Uh, and next thing you know, Easterby, thank God for Lovey Smith, Easterby gets removed. So the toxicity is gone. Uh, you know, they they get C.J. Stroud. They have $74 million in cap space. They make the playoffs in a year that, honestly, they, they weren't supposed to. And this is the most optimistic that Texans fans have been since... At, at least 2011, you know, like that's 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 where the franchise is right now. When three years ago they were exactly where the Panthers are right now, so it can get better, but it requires David Tepper to go away. And I don't mean sell the team, although I'm sure Panthers mm-hmm. fans would be okay with that. I just mean yeah. go away. Like he can't keep being the story. Like he really can't because. The more he is the story, and especially when those stories are negative, the less likely it is that Ben Johnson wants to come coach the team um, or Bobby Slowick or any of the top candidates, let alone Jim Harbaugh. Like, they're not going to get one of those guys because why would anybody, especially a young coach, with their first opportunity, and they, yep. they got to make sure they get a, a good job here that they can last at, like, why would they go to Carolina? They don't have the first overall pick. They don't have receivers. The offensive line's a mess. Bryce Young looks broken. The owner's an asshat. Why would they go there? And I don't think they will. And so my pick for fit for Carolina is not the best coach that's available. But it is kind of a realistic one that they might end up with. And that's going to be either Leslie Frazier or Wing Martindale. Because if the Panthers are going to hire somebody, it's probably going to be like what the Texans had to do a few years ago and hire somebody who wouldn't get hired anywhere else, i.e. their own version of David Culley. 
Yeah. Which is that probably was, Leslie Frazier at this point. That was the name that came up when we started talking about this. As I said, this reminds me of the David Culley situation. And David Culley did a great job for the Texans. This is not David Culley slander. I, I think he exceeded every expectation for the situation that he walked into. But he was not the first choice. <laughs> like... He was the guy that would take the job. And the Panthers, make no mistake, are at a place where they need the guy that will take the job. And that is not the best guy because the Mm -hmm. best guys are going to have better offers. And it doesn't have to do anything with money. David Tepper's got more money than God. He could pay whatever he wanted to. That's not the point. The point is right now it's a toxic situation with limited resources and a sort of large rebuilding job. And, you know, don't fret, Panthers fans. Somebody's going to take the job. There's only 32 of them. Somebody will believe they can fix it. Will it be one of the top eight or 10 guys? Not on your life. I don't care what they promise them. The This league talks. This is a very insular league. Um, everybody knows everybody. Everybody knows what it's like in that building right now. And nobody really wants to go there because they know that right now it's barring what kind of massive change they've got an owner who is going to be an involved owner. And sometimes that's a good thing. And a lot of times it's not a good thing and it's really not a good thing right now. So they are going to have to go for somebody that wants a job that wouldn't otherwise get it. Who says, look, I'll take my chances. I know it's not great. It's a lot like Ron Rivera going to the commanders, knowing that Dan Snyder was going to be a problem and was going to influence his daily life. And he was going to go in and do the best he could that's the kind of candidate that's going to end up in Carolina, which is ironic because Rivera came from Carolina to go. To <laughs> but um, that's what's going to happen for the next Panthers head coach is it's probably not going to be somebody you expect. Certainly not going to be somebody off the top of the watch list. It is going to be somebody and we'll see what happens. We'll see if Tepper learns any lessons. Doesn't look like he is right now, but people can change. Um, and we will probably see another change within this organization at head coach within a couple of years. For the GM position, similar kind of story. And I I look at GM candidates, and, and th- I'm not saying that this candidate is, is bad. I actually quite like him. But they might have to look for a candidate that that wants either a second bite at the apple that they might not get elsewhere, um, or somebody who who just deeply desires a chance. And for me, that's that's Brian Gain, who's the Bills assistant GM, former Texans GM. And it's kind of ironic because he himself got ran out of town by Jack Easterby. Didn't really get a real shot at being the Texans GM. He's only there for two years. Um, and so he he was a victim of toxicity before. Uh, well, I don't know. There's kind of debates about what was actually going on in the building at that time. But I can't imagine it was a good situation if a GM only lasts for two years there when we never really heard anything about clashes with ownership or anything like that. Like, I I believe that he became one of, you know, Jack Easterby's targets uh, at the time. Uh, sure. And so, you know, I think he I think he's wanted to get a second shot here because he feels like maybe he didn't get a real one in Houston. And I think that out of all the potential GM candidates, and and again, Bill's roster 
even with all their injuries, like they got the two seed in the AFC. Like the man can help build a good deep roster, right? So he sure. is a good candidate, but he's also, I think, one of the most realistic candidates that that Carolina might attract at this point. You need a paradox, and that's hard. You need somebody that's got a strong voice and strong opinions about personnel and is also willing to relinquish that control to an owner who is going to be involved. And when the owner says, we're not doing that, you got to give it up. And that's a hard line to straddle, to say, no, I'm committed. I'm going to bang the table. I believe in this approach or this guy or this group of guys. And an owner comes in and says, not this one, not this one, not this one. And you go, huh, <laughs> I feel like my professional expertise sets me up to make that choice better than you, but it's your money. Okay, we're going that way. And you have to be happy in that situation too, because being a GM anywhere, and I don't care whether it's in the NFL, they have them in college now, CFL, the new United Football League, like I don't care. Like it is, it is a long job. It's a lot of work. It's mostly behind the scenes. There's not a lot of glory in it. Um, you have to love the work and you have to be happy to go to work to do that kind of demanding job. And mm -hmm. it can be deflating when you do all that work and have your rationales and believe you have your arguments in place. And an owner says somewhat willy nilly, no, <laughs> like, I don't want to, I don't like the look of that. So we're not doing it. Um, so you got to have somebody that can straddle that line. They're going to have to, uh, as long as David Tepper is there. Um, he's been very involved, especially in the draft process and the draft theory, um, all the trade downs they did the first year he was there. Uh, that's, a, you know, it's an area of interest for him. He thinks there's market inequities there that he can take advantage of. And as a GM, you're going to have to accommodate that. So it's, a I don't want to say it's unique, but it's a rare skill set that they're looking for. You've got to sort of be half and half about it. Uh, moving on to Atlanta, and this whole situation fascinates me down there because the roster isn't bad. Like, they're not nope. bad. Like, they were not coached very well. Well, at least on the offensive mm -hmm. side of the ball. Defensive side of the ball, I thought they were coached pretty well. Um. Like obviously, I think I think Arthur Smith had a had a bad year as a head coach, and well, more than one bad year. This team finished with the eighth overall pick three years in a row. Um, but I don't think that this roster is so talent deficient that they should have been the eighth no. overall pick. And how often do you see a team that's playing potentially for a playoff spot in the last week and then still finish with the eighth overall pick. Like they're a weird organization that did not perform up to their talent level. And I think when the Falcons are trying to replace Arthur Smith, their main goal is to find a head coach that can maximize the talent that they do have. And boy, they do have talent. And also at the same time, let's say a move is made for Justin Fields. They need to get a guy. <laughs> because of course we can't say, we can't say the Falcons without saying Justin Fields this time. I, of I'm year. just saying, hey, I'm just saying it's against the rules. It's against the rules. <laughs> Everybody drink. <laughs> but, but I have to imagine that that is, that's in consideration mm -hmm. of who can we get in here? That sure. If we're making a move either for Justin or say, we're doing a big old trade up for Jaden Daniels or whatever, mm -hmm. or if we, 
drop down a few spots and it's Bo Nix season. Like again, they're going to get another quarterback. We just don't know which one. Yep. You know, you got to get a, a head coach who could potentially maximize said quarterback because Desmond Ritter ain't it. So in your view, with all the candidates on the table that might potentially fit that criteria, if you were Arthur Blank, who's your guy? Be looking at all the offensive coaches, but I'd also want somebody that has experience with a quarterback that fits somewhat outside the lines. And to me, it's probably Eric Bieniemy because if we're going to talk about Justin Fields, and clearly we are, you bring Justin Fields in, you have a lot of other offensive pieces. Again, you're not making Justin the centerpiece of that offense. He's another valuable weapon. Bienemy worked with Mahomes as a young quarterback who was not a, uh, despite all his success and revisionist history and in-the-box quarterback prospect, he was a very out-of-the-box quarterback prospect. Ton of skills, uh, big resume, but also a lot of things that needed to be adapted to play that well in the NFL. Fields, you could say, fits that description to a lesser extent, but also doesn't have to be the guy. He has to be better, and again, I think the enemy can maximize some of the things that he brings, hopefully minimize some of the things that have held him back. But again, you're throwing to Drake London. You've got Bijan Tote in the rock. You've got an offensive line. You've got Kyle Pitts. You've got, you've got guys. You're going to add even more guys. Your defense, as you said, is not terrible. It was pretty well coached, bringing a solid defensive coach. The enemy's been a coach in the league for a long time. He's got a lot of friends around the league. I think he could fill that bill. He could make a staff pretty easily. Um, and Atlanta could be one of those teams that doesn't make the playoffs the year before, does the next year, has a pretty substantial turnaround because what they do have in the building wasn't being maximized. And if you can get that offense clicking, you got a shot. Looking at a lot of the work that, uh, that EB did in Washington this year, I mean, Clearly, he got a lot of blood from the stone in terms of, uh, you know, at least passing, uh, passing production. Uh, mm-hmm. I was frustrated that, you know, uh, Jahan Dotson wasn't involved as I thought he could have or should have been this year. <laughs> mm. um, it, it so you feel like... share something with Falcons fans. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> offensive players aren't being oh, used to their oh, potential? God. Oh, no. <laughs> Maybe Eric Bieniemy is going to make Jonu Smith a hundred catch receiver. Maybe this isn't a good idea. Um, but it, overall, at least there was like productivity. You know, it wasn't to Jahan Dotson was boarded Curtis Samuel and insert tight end of the week here. But there was productivity. There was a method to the madness for EB. Uh, everything got spread around a lot, and it felt like every single week there was a new, a new leading receiver in Washington, right? And also, you know, again, we like Sam Howell, but Sam Howell is not an upper echelon quarterback in the NFL. And at least at one point this year, they were top five in, in passing yards per game, you know? So that's, that's, that's a, that's a pretty impressive achievement, I would say by EB. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, you know, nobody questions his ability in the locker room. Like, you look at how the players talk about him. They look up to him. They love him as a leader. Like, I think I think that this would be uh, a, a great time to prove his chops as a head coach. Uh, I would also uh, love to see him, you know, maybe poach some, some Kansas City assistants as well. 
because I, I think that part of being a great head coach is also hiring good assistants, but I think EB can absolutely do that as well. Um, my one other candidate that I think kind of fits the bill here is probably the main one that Falcons fans want, and that's, of course, going to be Ben Johnson from Detroit. I don't really think they can go wrong here as long as they're hiring uh, as long as they're hiring one of these offensive guys, they can come in here and take the talent that they've very deliberately drafted in the top 10 year after year after year, all the skill position talent, all the investment they made in the offensive line. Like as long as they're bringing in somebody who can maximize that talent with less spitefulness and less disdain <laughs> for uh, Falcons fans, I guess, than Arthur yeah, Smith. Gestures had. everywhere. <laughs> like it doesn't matter if it's like, a player that God. played on your college team that wasn't being used. Like everybody was mad at Arthur Smith. Fantasy players, college fans, like Texas fans hated that Bijan was stuffed down the roster. I think, you know, folks that like Kyle Pitts in college had given up and gone off drinking. Like everybody's mad at Arthur Smith. I think the only person on earth that hates Falcons fans more than Saints fans is Arthur Smith. Like I, that man, <laughs> that man had some hatred in his heart for, <laughs> for everybody who dared to question his personnel usage. But and it's be like, prepared, dude, <laughs> he's gonna, he's gonna be the OC for Vrabel. Oh, be prepared. It's gonna happen. I didn't even think about that. I I uh, would be stunned, quite frankly, if Rabel landed pretty much anywhere and Smith was not his OC. And it worked in Tennessee. I mean, for all the bad taste of, you know, the Falcons head coaching gig, you have to remember he was one of the hottest head coaching candidates because of what he did with Tannehill in the year he took him to the playoffs. Like that Tennessee offense was overachieving. But he ignored the lessons from that offense where it's like, hey, you've got Derrick Henry, use Derrick Henry. You've got A.J. Brown, use A.J. No, Brown. Preaching, like he ignored all that. The choir. Yeah, he wanted to be the <laughs> smartest guy in the room, and that guy is usually the most dangerous. If he has a strong head coach, and I think we both agree that Mike Vrabel is one of the strongest head coaches in terms of personality in the league, above him saying, yo, guess what? We drafted Bijan for a reason. Get to it. That could probably work because it did in Tennessee. So I'm just trying to prepare everybody. I'm not saying it's great or people are going to love it or anything else. The results are probably going to be better. I think Arthur Smith pretty clearly is going to be one of those guys that's a better coordinator than head coach. He might get a second bite at the apple. You never can tell. But right now, like when he goes back to being an OC, I think the general opinion of him around the league is going to raise again. It can't go much lower, right? Than it is right now. So we'll see. Uh, finishing it off with the Washington commanders where EB just was. Um, I, I would say again, top priority. We're assuming they're going to take a quarterback at the second overall pick. They'd be dumb. Not yes. To. Um, top priority is, bringing in a head coach that can develop said young quarterback, whether it's Caleb, whether it's May, whether it's Jaden Daniels, we have three more months to debate who that actually is, right? Because there's people mm -hmm. out there who say that Caleb is not QB1. There's people out there who say May is not QB2. 
and I still haven't even decided for myself where I have these guys. Um, no. But it's safe to say that they're going to take one of them. And so getting yep. a, a, a coach in there that can develop them and to maximize, develop them quickly, I should say, so that they can maximize that yep. rookie contract window is imperative. For me, that's Dave Canales. And of course, yes, obviously, Ben Johnson, another candidate too. But if we don't want to just talk about Ben Johnson all day, it's right. going to be Dave Canales. Looking at what Dave Canales has done the last two years in terms of you know resurrecting the careers of both Baker Mayfield and Geno Smith in back-to-back years mm -hmm. and making them both a lot of money, like Baker's probably going to get three years, 90 to 100 million this offseason. Geno Smith got a $100 million deal last year. Like Dave Canales is a huge reason why both of their careers got essentially saved because his his offensive philosophy i don't want to say it holds the hand of the quarterback it doesn't hold the hand of the quarterback but how his passing concepts fit together from a structural uh perspective just makes sense like it's very it's very much like todd monken in baltimore who's also getting a bunch of interviews because of course he is sure. but you're looking at at how his routes fit together with protections and how he, you know, strings play calls together, uh, you know, calling stuff in the first quarter that's going to set up stuff in the third quarter, you know, how he kind of plays with pace to keep defenses off balance in certain areas of the field, like when he goes up tempo, when he slows it down, like he's just such a, a naturally instinctive both play caller and designer of offense like, I really do think he's one of those guys. And the proof is in the pudding that he had, you know, playoff caliber offenses with two quarterbacks that everybody had written off. Like, completely mm -hmm. written off in Geno Smith and Baker Mayfield. And also, he really knows how to maximize uh, big, fast receivers. Not that Terry McLaurin's, like, the biggest guy out there, but... If you need he's fast. an OC, you know, he's fast. If you need an OC that can find a million different ways to give Terry McLaurin one on one, like Dave Canales will do it. He will find ways to get Terry one on one. And if you also package that together with May or Caleb or or Jaden Daniels, and you say, okay, here's this incredible receiver out there. I'm going to do my job of getting you favorable looks. You do your job of getting him the ball. Like this team can work. It can absolutely work. So I think Dave Canales would be a, a wonderful hire for them. I know a lot of fans are not paying attention to what paying attention to him whatsoever, but they absolutely should. And mm -hmm. even if he doesn't get hired in DC, like I would gladly take him at most of the destinations we've already talked about. Cause I think he is a very good football coach. Two things I love about Canales. The first thing is every quarterback has an angel on one shoulder and a devil on the other. And both Gino and Baker were known for listening more to one or or too much to one and not to the other. And it's like Canales can put a little glass box over that negative <laughs> side of whatever quarterback play is and go, no, no, just just listen to this side. And he did it with Gino. A lot of the habits that Gino had that were not great, a lot of the negatives that were attached to his game, and rightfully so, he kept him away from, and he let the other side shine, right? He just got that side quiet, and he let the other side shine. 
And then I think he had a bigger job to do with Baker because Baker had more starting experience and quite frankly, a higher variance than Gino did. Gino had never really hit the heights. Baker had hit some heights, but he'd hit big negatives and big positives. And so I think it was an even tougher challenge. And he was just as effective as he was with Gino in sort of, again, putting a glass box over that negative part of your game and saying, these are all the good parts of your game. Let's just play those. Like, let's let's make this happen. Let's make it so you can make choices to just let this happen. And lo and behold, we got to see Good Baker for most of the year. I would say the vast majority of the year. I think that would make him a great head coaching candidate. I also, and this is sort of like wind the clock back, again, revisionist history. I would love to see what he could do with Sam Howell. Not as a starter. I'm not saying as his number one. I definitely think Washington should take a quarterback at number two. Let's just put that up front. But like of all the guys to say, hey, there's a lot of good parts about your game. Let's quiet the negative parts down because that's what really ran Sam Howell out of that opportunity. It doesn't even have to be next year. It doesn't have to be in Washington, but like Dave Canales with Howell, there's so many good things to work with there. And he's such a quarterback whisperer in terms of being able to shut down all those negative parts of the game. And let's be honest, if you shut down the interceptions with Sam Howell, you've got a top 15 quarterback. Like, And, and no the sacks. Question. Like, that's the big thing. If he can just right. teach Sam Howell, and, and it got better over the back half of the year, but like if he could just teach Sam Howell to right. not take sacks over and over and over yeah. and over and over again, yeah. like it's too, that would have fixed many, a lot of the problems. Yeah, too many, too many interceptions, too many sacks. But again, we could say all the negative things about Baker's game before this year. We could say a lot of negative things about Geno's game before the last two years. Dave Canales is the thing in common between those two guys really sort of hitting that stride that every fan wants their favorite player to hit, which is do all the good things and do less of the bad things. And Canales is able to make that happen with quarterbacks. So he would be a great choice. And then I really think Slowick, again, with taking a young quarterback and CJ Stroud and making him work very quickly. And again, spreading around to offensive weapons, which they do have in Washington, would make him a, a logical choice for this, especially since we know they're going to be picking a young quarterback with number two. There's an interesting GM candidate that they put in a request to interview uh, yesterday. That's Bears assistant GM Ian Cunningham. Yeah. I'm not super familiar with him myself, Um and even though the Bears have have had their fair share of swings and misses in the draft uh, over the last several years, they also potentially got a starting left tackle in the fifth round. They've got you know a very good guard in Tevin Jenkins, potentially a very good right tackle long term in Darnell Wright. You know they got Jalen Johnson. You know uh, I have to assume he gave some input on the trade that netted them DJ Moore and all the assets from Carolina. Um, you know. Cole Komet started out rocky, but ended up being a pretty serviceable tight end. Uh, you know, uh, Javon Dexter has so far has been a great pick. Billings was a, a great pickup. Um, I mean, you go Tyree down the line Stevenson, of this pair of Tyree Stevenson. Smith, like, there's dudes. There's dudes there. Like, th this Bears team, you know, over the back half of the year was seventh highest in the NFL in terms of weighted DVOA as a team. Like, mm -hmm. th there's there's guys and i i think that ian cunningham to whatever involvement he had in that like yeah requesting to interview somebody who who helped put together that kind of roster as disappointing as it was in the first half of the year like you saw the potential of what it could do in the back half of the year and i think 
mm-hmm. like those last nine games are really what what's gotten a lot of people excited about about the Bears and more specifically about Bears personnel people. Yeah, Ian Cunningham was getting interviews last year. Uh, he was again one of those guys in the process of the GM process. Everybody thought it was a little bit early, but also like, hey, this guy's on the come up. He's going to get him if we get him early this year. Maybe he's a little bit green, but we get him. Whereas if we let him go another year, I don't think he'll be with the Bears for uh, what will amount to be a third year under polls. Um, he is probably going to get a job in this cycle, and rightfully so. Again, you saw a lot of the younger players, especially from the last draft, but really the last two drafts. You saw Kyler Gordon play better. Jaquan Briskers played really well when he's been on the field, but injuries have been a thing um, this year with Darnell Wright. And then Stevenson and Dexter really starting to come on later in the year. Like people went, oh, like, wait, they are developing young players. They did pick ones that fit their system. Mm, okay. And also free agency choices, um, some low key moves, some hierarchy moves like DJ. Ian Cunningham is a well-respected guy. He's been in several different personnel shops, so he has a variety, a diversity of experience about how to build a team. Uh, He's well-respected. He's highly intelligent. Um, Definitely, from what I've heard, speaks very well when he sits in a room and is um, very clear at articulating his vision. So I do think he's a guy that probably won't get out um, of this round. And GM openings are a little weird because there's less of them every year. And they're a little bit, I would say, less predictable just because they're less visible. Owners want maybe different things that are uh, less measured or less easily measured than things that they want out of coaches. So, But Cunningham, super well-respected, could build a staff again because he's been in multiple front offices, um, very intelligent, and has a pretty good track record uh, as a young, we'll just call him assistant GM. I think he's primed. I would like to see him back with the Bears uh, again in a selfish way, just like the way you'd like to see Slowick back with the Texans uh, as a coach. I, I don't necessarily think that's going to happen. I think he hooks on. There's more openings this year for GM than there typically are. And Cunningham was a guy that was already getting looks last year. I think he latches one of those spots this year. All right. Well, that wraps up uh, all the discussion that we probably can have about coaching changes to this point until we get a better idea of uh of how many spots are going to be open and who knows you know we're you know i don't think uh i don't think nick sirianni's out of the woods either so we'll we'll see how that goes uh after their game against tampa this weekend um and if he ends up or mccarthy or whoever if there's another like surprise firing based on like an embarrassing playoff loss in the first round we'll address that next week but for now that's about all we can really touch on based on the information that we have uh and speaking of those wild card predictions, even though we're like an hour 15 into this show, we couldn't end this show without at least submitting some picks for these games this weekend. So, EJ, I'll give you the floor first. Pittsburgh, Buffalo. Who's your pick? I've got Buffalo with the role they're on. I think that takes them over the Steelers. They have better balance right now than the Steelers do. They have easily the better quarterback. Daquan Jones is going to help blunt Najee through the middle, which is really something the Steelers leaned on to get to this place. I just don't think the Steelers have the horsepower, especially with Watt out for the game, most likely. I'm going to take Buffalo. Yeah, I got uh, I got Buffalo as well. TJ is such a difference maker for this team. And, and I would have given them a puncher's chance if Watt was there because how this sure. team typically wins games is... <laughs> 
they just kind of survive until <laughs> TJ or Highsmith, you know, flips the field on a, a, a crazy sack that results in a huge loss. And then you got a punt and all of a sudden, you know, insert Steelers quarterback here uh, because they've had three of them this year. You know, we'll start at like the 40-yard line. They get a, a shorter uh, or I should say an easier starting field position so they can get points on the board. Or they just outright force a turnover and give like a free red zone possession like what happened in the Rams game. Um, like that's how this team wins is they get a big defensive play that the offense has to try really hard not to fuck up. And that's worked for most of the year. However, without TJ Watt on the field, I have, I have less confidence that that big defensive play is going to happen. Like he's not their only pass rusher. Obviously they got a bunch of them, but he is the best one. He's the most impactful one. He's the one that has kind of a nose for turning the ball over and just making a big play when they absolutely need it. He's one of the only defensive players in the league that I think moves the needle that much that I just, I don't think they have a shot without him. So I'm going to go with Buffalo as inconsistent as they've been this year. They're also a team that tends to have a puncher's chance, but they, they actually have their punchers on the field. So uh, I'll go with them. Uh, Miami KC, keep in mind, this game is going to be <laughs> cold, cold, cold. We're talking like minus 17 wind chill projected at kickoff. This is not a Dolphins team that typically wins in, in cold weather. They've gone 0 for 10 in their last 10 games below 40 degrees. Do you think they break that streak? No, we're talking about Casey and roughly Siberian conditions. We're talking about 17 below. We're talking about up to 20 mile an hour gusts to go with this. This is not just cold and still. This is cold, windy, blowy. Like if you could draw up conditions that you wanted to slow Miami down with this or a super muddy field are probably the two things that you would call up on. Um, and with the Chiefs D at home, Look, I think the fish freeze and their run ends. I think it's kind of unfair. They've had a great season. They've achieved a lot. This is a bad draw. Losing that game to Buffalo flipped it so they didn't have to play Buffalo again. They had to play KC in these conditions. If they win, I'll actually be surprised. I would be genuinely shocked, right? Because this game plays into KC's hand so, so well. Um, now, Another another factor here um, that maybe people aren't talking about as much because, you know, obviously Casey's passing game is not good this year. And if we're just talking about passing game versus passing game, like the Dolphins have a huge advantage, but the Dolphins have struggled with drops as it is, let alone when they're trying to catch an actual brick, which is what that ball is going to feel like. Yep. And at that point, it comes down to you know, who can run the ball better. And yes, obviously the Dolphins have a dynamic run game. But with the way that KC matches up with their run defense versus uh, the Dolphins' run rushing offense, you know, with all the two high structures that they tend to play, it actually kind of does give them a schematic advantage against all the outside zone and all the pin and poles and everything that, that Miami relies on. Uh, because when you when you're in a middle field open structure and your safeties are wider, it actually makes it easier in terms of like pursuit angles to get outside and to generate tackles for loss and everything like that. 
I would be more concerned for the run game matchup if KC was like a a middle field closed uh, dominant defense, like say the Colts, right? But the fact that they yep. spend most of their time in quarters and quarter quarter half, like their their safeties just have better angles here, and so a lot of what the Dolphins do well. I just I don't I don't like that matchup, especially in the cold, and especially when they can't complement it with their their passing game because receivers gonna like I'm trying to really emphasize here how hard it's gonna be to catch the ball and how hard it's gonna be yeah. to kick the ball too. Like I almost yeah. would any field goal over forty yards, like I'm not doing it. Like it's gotta be in the thirties. No. Or I'm not kicking. And it's it already like, snowed yeah. there. It's it snowed a bunch today, so it's not just really really cold it's not just windy it's very possible it's either going to be actively snowing or blowing snow certainly because there's already snow on the ground like Mm -hmm. this is going to be full-on blizzard bowl and i don't like what that does to the dolphins chances it's unfortunate because i think in inside like even on a neutral field like not even in miami like neutral field inside i'd probably take miami but that's not what they're getting. It's not the hand they were dealt. You know, if you well, want, you got to win your better games. conditions. Is, beat Buffalo. Yeah. Well, you got to win your games, and if you don't yeah. win your games, this is what can happen again. If you're playing a dome team, I I'd say it's even up at best for Kansas City in terms of their chances. Probably I'm leaning Miami, but they didn't draw a dome team. They're going to play outside in January in Kansas City, and it does not help their cause can they win it sure will they win it i doubt it next game uh houston hosting cleveland we kind of talked about this one in last week's episode in terms of nightmare playoff matchups and i i said that cleveland did not want houston to win the division well houston won the division and they're gonna have to go back to houston which they just beat houston a few weeks ago i think it was christmas eve when that game was and they beat him soundly uh, but that was not the Texans. That was mm-hmm. the Texans without C.J. Stroud and without Will Anderson, potentially the offensive rookie and defensive rookie of the year. Will Anderson, one of the most effective pass rushers in the entire NFL. If we're just looking at pass rush win rate, uh, you know, whether you double team him or not, it doesn't really matter. Like he's been incredible this year. C.J. Stroud's been a top six to seven quarterback in the NFL this year. Like this is a dynamic, explosive offense with him under center and a much more dynamic defense with Will Anderson out there too. It's not going to be an easy game for the Browns. It's not a good matchup for the Browns when those two are out there. I do take Houston for that reason. I'm going to go with Cleveland in a squeaker on the road. You've always got to have some upsets and with Schwartz and Cleveland's defensive roster, I think they are going to cause Stroud just enough problems. He has been outstanding. He's played lights out. He doesn't have all of his weapons. He's showed that he can play even without all of his weapons. I would not be surprised if he makes the plays to turn the game, but I think Flacco has one more magic trick up his sleeve. I know it's on the road. It is one of the more unlikely stories, but we love that Cleveland roster going into the year. They have, I don't want to say more of their guys. They have a lot of their guys. They too have suffered injuries, but I like the way their secondary matches up against the receivers that are left in Houston. It's going to be a close game either way. It's going to be one of the more exciting games of the weekend, but I'm going to take Cleveland in a like a field goal winner on the road. I think uh the only team that's happy about this matchup 
because obviously Houston would prefer not to have to deal with the Browns because uh, they're sure. one of the three best teams in the AFC right now. But I think the only team that's happy about this matchup is the Ravens because it's Houston and Cleveland knocking each other out. And so they're only going to have to deal with one of those. Like I think Baltimore right now would rather play against Pittsburgh or Buffalo or Miami or Kansas City. They would not want to play against C.J. Stroud They would because they already had to deal with him in week one. And they jumped on him early in the first half, and then C.J. kind of got it in the second half. And Scared him. a bunch of throws. And I think yep. in the second half, Baltimore's like, uh-oh, <laughs> he's going to be an issue. And then they kind of yeah. built on that the rest of the year. Uh, I don't think they want to see C.J. Stroud again, and I definitely don't think they want to see the Browns again. So one of these two teams is going to be doing Baltimore a favor. Uh, moving on to the NFC, Green Bay-Dallas. Narratives galore in this one. Uh, I think I think the <laughs> NFC playoff slate is it's just messy drama and I love it and this game is is a poster child of that. Who's your pick? I think Dallas pulls this one off and this is a, a hard thing for me to say but Dallas has been a different team this season. I, Dallas is always the team that even if they get to the postseason you're like yeah but they're going to fold. I don't feel that way this year. Um, they're the more veteran team for sure. They. I think prevail over the youngest team in the NFL. I don't think Green Bay is a bad team, and I do give them a puncher's chance, especially with, you know, as well as their quarterback's been playing, as deeply as it pains me to say that, he's been really, really good this year. Um, Dak's been better. Just keep McCarthy away from the timeout button and the challenge flag and, and let Dak and the offense cook. I think Dallas can take this one. I think Green Bay is a year away. Again, would I be shocked if they pulled the upset here? No, but I think Dallas wins this one and moves on to the next round. I speak for Packers fans, and it's rare that I do that. But I speak for Packers fans when I say that I still have so much lingering trauma from watching <laughs> you Mike trauma. McCarthy in the playoffs. That's funny. <laughs> and it's funny because, like, I, you know, hey, I pray for the downfall every year, and we would get it every single year. But at the same time, Watching the McCarthy-led Packers and even to a degree watching the McCarthy-led Cowboys, there's still so many instances where I think, like, what the fuck is he doing? That, like, I Why? I even got a little bit traumatized by the decision-making yeah. where I'm like, this doesn't, like, it doesn't make sense. Like, your thought process doesn't make sense. And so if this is a one-score game, I think the Packers are more likely to win a one-score game than the Cowboys are. Because, yes, everything is telling me that Dallas has the more talented team and Dak is the better quarterback and the Cowboys have the better defense and, like, their assistants are great. Like, everything's everything's good in Dallas. Like, it's a good team. They're a two-seed for a reason. But if it's a one-score game in the last four minutes of the first half and the last four minutes of the fourth quarter, I've just seen McCarthy fuck it up too many times for me to just suddenly think that that he learned his lesson. And we literally just saw him get away with it against Detroit a few weeks ago. Like, he's <laughs> yep. still doing it. He's still making bad game management decisions. When we went to, to Dallas and watched the Patriots game in person, you know, at, at the end of the half sequence with the, the you know, uh, the field goal, like, we were even confused in the stadium. We're like, there's eight seconds left. What are we doing here? Like, his brain breaks in the last four yeah. minutes. I don't get it. And I just, I, until I see him coach clean playoff games without making those game management mistakes, I'm just going to assume he's going to do it 
And in a one-score game, that's going to cost them. So I'm picking the yeah. Packers. I'm not, I'm not feeling great about it. Like, I would love the Packers to get crushed, okay? Like, this is maybe me, like, hedging my own eternal bets. Like, yeah, bear down, obviously. I, I want them to get smacked. I just don't think they will. Like, I really yeah. do think the Packers are going to win because, and Packers fans can back me up on this, they know what Mike's going to do in the playoffs. <laughs> they saw it for years. And yeah, deep down, about I think Cowboys narratives. fans know it too. Yeah, that's where it comes from. And, you know, this it starts in this game and it carries right into the next game. We're going to talk about the Rams versus Detroit. I think this is the juiciest game of this round, like without question. You've got the prodigal son, Matt Stafford, returning. There were Lions fans who became, you know, the Detroit Rams, right? They supported him. <laughs> they wanted him to win that Super Bowl. Now he comes home and, like, he steps on the field and he's going to know like he already knows it's them or me like and mm -hmm. Matt Stafford above all things great competitor loved his time but he's not going to roll over for the Lions like don't don't have that in your mind it's going to be epic either way the atmosphere is going to be electric first home playoff game in Detroit long time um I think the Rams interior rush throws off Goff's timing just enough. And Stafford is, like I said, he's going to be slinging it. He's just going to be out for blood. And the Rams, I think, are going to continue their, what I would term, very unlikely role in this season. I think McVay goes one more round. I think the Rams win this one. I would have taken the Lions if Laporta was healthy. And we still don't know if he's going to play or not, but the fact that... Right. Like the deciding factor for whether or not he's going to play is like how much Toradol can you fit in a human being's bloodstream? Like that's, that's when they say day to day, that's what they mean. Right. Is like, <laughs> this he's going to be hurt. Yeah. <laughs> he's going to yeah. be hurt. He's going to barely be able to move. And a healthy Sam Laporta is a difference, difference maker, like a huge difference maker. He's a massive component to their offense. An unhealthy Sam Laporta or even worst case scenario, no Sam Laporta fundamentally changes what Detroit is capable of, in in my opinion. Yes, they still have a dynamic running back duo. You know, they still got Amon Ra. Like, J-Mo could take the top off. Like, I get, like, I'm not saying he's the only piece that matters. But it does feel like, you know, every single third down, they're looking at Sam and say, please go make a play. And he does, like, without fail. As a rookie, he does that. Like, that mm -hmm. is how important he is, is that when they get into a jam, it's Sam Laporta time, and they're going to be in a lot of jams in this game. And without him being healthy, I'm not sure if they're going to be able to get out of it with the same frequency, let alone the fact that like their secondary, again, <laughs> how many years in a row we've been talking about this secondary, just not being able to cover. They still can't do it. They're like bottom six in, in pass defense. You know, Aiden is a great pass rusher for them, but... You know, nobody else has really consistently stepped up. So it's like a one-man show in the pass rush, and they can't cover. I I don't know, man. I just – I get really, really tough vibes about this game for Detroit specifically, and the Rams are such a hot team right now. Not saying that they don't have their own flaws. Like, the Rams' corners aren't any better than Detroit's. Like, they can't cover either. It's like there, there will be points scored in this game for both teams, but – Ultimately, yes. I think the Rams are a little bit more complete than Detroit sans Sam Laporta. And ultimately, I, I agree with you. I think uh, I think that the Rams are going to win. 
I'm just going to throw a note on at the end for all the Detroit fans. I want the Lions to win. I really want, just if you're just asking me as a fan, like what I want to happen, Detroit fans deserve it. Like I want the Lions to win the game. I just think the Rams, you know, I'm not going to be like sad. (laughs) I'm going to be thrilled if the Lions win the game because this has been a magical season for them and I would love to see that continue for Lions fans. I just think the Rams are on a very particular role right now that very few people saw coming. Uh, all right, Philly, Tampa Bay. <laughs> it's funny. We we both thought, you know, this game was like upset alert uh, when we recorded the episode last last week of like, oh, the Bucks are the nightmare matchup for the Eagles. Like, watch out. Like, they could upset them. Like, I don't, I don't <laughs> think it's really an upset. Like, I know Vegas says uh, Philly's favored by two and a half. In what universe should the Eagles be favored over Tampa Bay at this point? Like maybe if you think that Baker's rib slash ankle injury, but if Baker is playing at like a reasonable Baker level, like what is, what is giving people any confidence whatsoever that the Eagles are going to beat Tampa after getting the shit kicked out of them by the giants the week after they lost to the Cardinals? Like, what am I missing here? How, how, are the Eagles favored in this game? I don't understand it. I don't think you're missing anything. I think Baker beats the slumping Eagles, who've been the gang that can't shoot straight since they went 10 and 1. First team ever in the NFL to go 10 and 1 and not win 12 games. Like their slide, their collapse, whatever you want to call it, in the back half of the season has been epic, like historic in proportion. I they lost in that stretch to the 49ers. Okay, I get it. Cowboys also get it. Seahawks, that was kind of iffy. Then Cardinals, then Giants. Like, it's just picking up steam. It's like a rock rolling downhill. It's not where they want to be heading at the end of the season. Bucks, on the other hand, playing very solid football. I think they match up decently. Again, if you're talking about the first half of the season, Eagles, this is Eagles in a walk. Like, it's not close. But this isn't the first half of the season, Eagles. This is the reality of Philadelphia right now. And if you look at, you know, prominent Philadelphia fans around, they are not going into this game with any kind of confidence or bravado. They're talking zero shit. They're worried and with good reason. <laughs> they're talking shit on their own team at this point. Right. Like there's a lot of Eagles fans that are like, I don't even know why we're here, man. Like can we just give our spot to the yeah. Saints. Like, like, what are we doing here? Like the only team ever to start 10 and one and then not win 12 games. Like that's it's unreal. I've I've never seen anything like this Eagles team. Ever. And uh oh, by the way, Nick Sirianni, I know he's not listening to this. How'd that uh Sean Desai firing go for you? Yeah, working out okay? Cool. Just making sure I I hate to to bring it up, but it feels a little bit like the news we started off the podcast with with the Vrabel firing. Like, oh, you took a thing that was, you know, maybe not working as well as you thought it could, but you thought better was out there. Like that turned into a tire fire immediately, like week one, and it hasn't gotten better. Like we said, it's gotten progressively worse. So this is not Sean Desai defense. Like a lot of people would say Sean Desai can't coach defense if they're Philadelphia fans. I get it. It was not great, but it got like immediately worse and has progressively gone downhill. So yeah, it's the uh, frying pan to fire thing. 
Well, here, here's my thing with Sean Desai. We've seen him be a very good football coach elsewhere before. Like, we, we know that man can coach. And I think, I look at that Eagles defense, I was like, he was just trying to keep it together because he knew that they were, they were kind of fucked personnel-wise. Like, they don't have any corners that can cover. Their linebackers get shredded every week. Like, yeah, they had the defensive line, but, like, Sean Desai was just trying to keep them afloat. And... Yep. Yeah, you can say that they were not staying all the way afloat, but now they're just sinking. Yeah. So, and you know, fast, he at least like kept faster. them somewhat buoyant. <laughs> yeah, and they have just, it's like cutting a line on a sinker. Like, it's just picking yeah. up speed. Yeah, so I don't know. I think Bucks are going to win. Um, short of of Baker really not looking right because of those injuries. And I do sure. think that's probably why Vegas is favoring the Eagles because they think that Baker's significantly hurt. But if he just plays average, this Eagles defense is so bad that they make average offenses look pretty darn good. So, uh, yeah, those are our picks. Uh, again, just to recap, Tampa, uh, we, we agreed on Tampa. We agreed on the Rams. Uh, we disagreed on Green Bay and Dallas. I've got the Packers. EJ has the Cowboys. Um, we disagreed on Browns-Texans. EJ's got the Browns. I've got the Texans because I'm loyal. Damn it. Always will be. I don't get to be loyal to a team in the playoffs because <laughs> my team doesn't get to the playoffs. One day. One day. Caleb will lead you to one the day. promised land. Uh, Miami-KC. We agree on KC winning this one in uh, frigid conditions. Then we agree on Buffalo ending an improbable 10-win run for Pittsburgh this year. Uh, I want to thank all of our executive producers for making this episode possible. Iken, Marat, Consti, Andrew, Liam, Connor, and Mike L. Uh, also want to uh, assure you guys that uh, our Ring of Honor Q&A will be happening soon. We're just trying to figure out the exact date for that because we're trying to sort out travel for Shrine Bowl and, and Combine and our playoff schedule and everything like that. There's, there's a lot of a lot of bullets flying this time of year, so we're trying to figure that out. And we'll probably be contacting you guys individually to get your own schedules too because we want you guys to be able to go to that. Uh, if you guys want to join the Ring of Honor yourself or really any of our Patreon tiers, that, of course, is linked down in the description below to directly support the show, and we appreciate if you do that. Uh, also, if you don't want to support us on Patreon but you still want to indirectly slash sort of directly uh, support the show, uh, bootleg gear is available over on Homage. We get... Uh, a cut of everything that you buy on homage, even if it's not bootleg gear and it's something to support your actual uh, NFL fandom because uh, they have the NFL license. Anything you get from homage, we get a cut of that. So thank you if you guys shop there as well. And with that, EJ, let's get out of here. Uh, we have uh, mock draft season to prepare for. We have a lot of prospects say, to watch before all we that other stuff to do. <laughs> yep. Yeah. This is the busy time of year where we have to do playoff talk and draft talk at the exact same time. I don't know about you, but I am incredibly far behind on on Shrine Bowl guys and Senior Bowl guys. So that's it. Feels like week. the middle of the summer where sort of all three lines of work came together in the middle of the previous series, and we went, "Oh no!" Like this yeah. is that <laughs> month. January is like, "Oh, we got to finish out the best football of the year in the NFL strong. We got to do a Super Bowl preview." Oh yeah, and by the we actually have to record the Super Bowl preview at the All-Star Game. Oh, oh, yeah, right. It's that time of year again. But, you know, 
I guess we can't complain too much. We watch football for a living, nope. even if we're not very good at it. Uh, but we do get to do it as our job. So thank you once again to everybody for watching and listening, uh, however you happen to be consuming the show. Uh, not entirely sure what our schedule is going to be for next week, because again, all of the moving parts that we just talked about. But uh, make sure to follow us on Twitter. We'll let you know when and what we're doing. Uh, and with that, we will see you soon-ish. Take care.